Last episode, we started our exploration of the experiences of LGBTQ plus citizens of the city of Yogyakarta, Indonesia. The stories of I and Ferdi, a Muslim lesbian and a gay Christian man, gave us insight into what it means to grow up as a non-heterosexual Indonesian. In part two, we will be talking to June and Alfie, binary and non-binary trans men who have navigated visible queerness and the complexities of Indonesian masculinity in the process of living authentically as their true gender. It is with great fortune that we have been given the opportunity to hear these important stories and, upon reflection, we will be asking an important question. What can a global queer community do for the LGBTQ citizens of Indonesia? Welcome to part two of Queer Voices in Yogyakarta and episode nine of Slash Queer. You're here with me, your host, Georgie Williams. Having interviewed I, Feridi, June and Alfie at the same time, I was aware that I was going to have to separate these interviews over two separate episodes. The decision was made to separate based on gender and sexuality, sexuality being covered in part one and gender in part two. Where in episode seven, we explored Waria culture, a third gender identity which is often conflated or compared with being a transgender woman. This episode is about exploring contemporary transgender experiences within the younger Indonesian community. As this is a community who have had access to the internet and, in turn, global resources regarding LGBTQ identities, it feels more appropriate to use Western terms like transgender. In this context, we must consider gender identity variants as being somewhat different to transness. We are talking about transitioning as a verb, having been assigned one gender identity at birth, but truly identifying as another, which is different to identifying with a gender identity which was assigned to you and simply exists outside of a modern Western gender binary, as we see in many indigenous communities around the world. My third interviewee and the first of this episode was June. June is a nomadan or nomadic trans man currently living in Yogyakarta, nomadic indicating he currently has no geographically fixed home. He is heavily involved in the local LGBTQ communities and works as a driver and calligrapher. First thing first, it is really hard for an um, LGBTQ person that lives in Indonesia to even access information what is LGBTQ about and coming in as a, some specific gender identity or um, sexual orientation or something like that. But my experience had been smoother. It, has, it had been smoother than the others because luckily I found the information about LGBTQ from YouTube and it was really helpful for me, so much help. And it started when I was in high school, the time when basically I, I always questioning myself, like, what am I, what I like? Because I was really confused about myself. I fall for um, a girl, but I didn't like, I didn't like any boys in my school. <laughs> so that was, that was funny. But then 
somehow I, I watched a video on YouTube. They were talking about a non-binary person, I guess, gender fluid person. And I was like, okay, so this person has an agenda or something. <laughs> and then I started digging about the information more and more. And I found myself like, okay, this is literally me. Maybe I, I am this, I am that. And I was quite sure about being lesbian that time. That was um, my first thing coming in as a lesbian. And then next year, after um, I graduated from high school, I started questioning about my gender. So it's double questioning time. <laughs> okay, first about sexual orientation and then gender identity. I started digging more and more about gender identity. Uh, I found myself as a trans man, non-binary at that time. I was quite happy with that, but I had no space, I had no room to express myself more because I, I had no idea what to do with that. I mean, okay, I found my identity, my gender identity, my sexual orientation and everything, but I couldn't um, express it more. So I tried to find communities in Jogja, I mean, LGBTQ communities in Jogja through Instagram. And I found one person that quite famous in Jogja, and he was a trans man. And I was like, wow, okay, this guy is cool, but how can I reach him? But I didn't reach him out because I had to work hard. <laughs> and then, yeah, just one year passed until 2018. I was seeking for, for another jobs. I didn't find any job that suit with me because I was too worried about my gender identity and etc. And yeah, it, it's, it is real when you want to look for jobs uh, as an LGBTQ person in Indonesia, especially when uh, you have a quite different gender expression. Then the only option that I had at that time is just becoming a driver. <laughs> and I did, I did, I did that. I registered myself, then I became a driver. And then, to be honest, I've never been to college or university, actually, because first, I, I'm a poor man. I don't have a lot of money and I can't afford, I can't afford to go to university or something. And second, there's a serious reason for me to not go to university because I have a big fear about persecution from the people. Because if they, they know and they find out if I, um, that I'm a trans man, probably they will kill me. <laughs> that is my fear, actually. I had some persecution also from my family, of course. Not because my gender identity. They have no idea what I am until now. <laughs> they don't know it. It's so... Not innocent, but so conservative. And I don't know how to communicate with fa my family because we have a very different frequency to, to be in one conversation. Like they have no idea what I'm talking about and I don't have any idea what they're talking about. It is not unusual for individuals to come to understand their gender identity through their understanding of their sexual orientation. 
often it is our attraction or lack of to others which can be a first indicator of our queerness, before any gender-related introspection occurs. However, we should be aware that no sexuality is a prerequisite for any gender identity. Although many trans men do initially identify as lesbians, there are many trans men who have always experienced attraction to men, and are therefore now gay or queer men, instead of just being cisgender women who were attracted to men. Although sexual orientation can, in some cases, change during one's gender transition, this is absolutely not a universal experience, or even the norm. We should consider gender to be a factor that can influence sexuality, but not the cause of it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I really appreciate the insight and also how sensitive that is as a subject. So thank you so much. To go on to our next question, if you're happy to do that, I want to ask you, from your perspective, based on experiences you had and your understanding of the current situation, what can individuals from outside of Indonesia's LGBTQ plus community do to support your community and support the causes that matter to you at this time? There's not much you can do in physical help, actually, because it's really hard for us to get the access. Like maybe maybe the funding, it's, it's quite impossible to get that. But there are many things also that uh, you, as an outsider, to help us, like maybe just spread the message and telling us that we're not alone. And just tell us uh, what to do in this situation and how, how, to, um, how to grow our self-esteem and be okay being queer. That's the important thing. Like, we basically don't know how to act when we found out that we are queer, that we are gay or something. Basically just shocked uh, at that time and being reckless. We, we just found something that really wild. <laughs> but actually it's not that wild, okay? So, yeah, for the, the people outside, uh, maybe you can, can do some, maybe tutorial or something. No, 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 it's not tutorial. I mean, the message, you can, you can, you can deliver a message for us to be more um, growing up our self-esteem, how to behave and how to educate ourselves. That's, that's important. Through YouTubes, Instagram or, or anything, like that's the circle. Yeah. So that's maybe that's the first thing that you can do. An interesting aspect of what June has to say here is that for him and for others, there is a period of growing pains when an individual first discovers their gender identity or sexuality. Characterizing this self-discovery as something that unearths something wild demonstrates the underlying taboo that can take a long time to unlearn. Internalized homophobia, transphobia, and queerphobia can so often lead queer individuals to experience distress, frustration, or even act self-destructively or recklessly, as June put it. 
The sense of isolation and of freakishness can lead queer individuals to struggle with their self-esteem and self-worth as a consequence, and in articulating this, June makes it even more clear how beneficial it is for young queer people to have access to informative resources and be able to find their community, if only to know that they are not alone in their experiences. Alfie, our final interviewee on our rainy night in Jogjakarta, is an openly non-binary trans man and is an active member of a local LGBT organisation, specialising his work in disability issues. He is currently studying law. Being an LGBTIQ plus people in Indonesia is hard for me. Moreover, if you identified yourself as a non-binary trans man. Uh, because uh, people around me is mostly cis-heterosexual. Uh, they accuse me for not being manly. Not manly enough, they said, uh, because I didn't take HRT, and yet I'm having a female voice, and then I'm an introvert person, and I'm a typical indoor person, so... When I don't do bodybuilding or other activities, they said I'm not manly enough. <laughs> then I discover the term of non-binary. Uh, so I identified uh, myself as a non-binary trans man just because I don't want to adopt the heteronormativity rules by being a man that constructed by patriarchy. Because I think that trans men itself Sometimes they like adopt heteronormative rule and I don't want being that kind of person. For clarification, when Alfie talks about HRT, he's talking about hormone replacement therapy. For those of you who have read the Slash Queer article on bioessentialism in trans circles, you will be aware that there is often an issue with transgender individuals being expected to undergo or even want to undergo hormone replacement therapy or gender-affirming surgeries to be considered valid in their trans identity. However, it is important to stress that neither of these treatments are necessary prerequisites for transness. Many people undergo these treatments to manage their gender dysphoria, characterized as a disconnect between one's gender identity and their body. However, not all trans or gender variant people experience constant gender dysphoria, or any dysphoria at all, since extraneous factors such as cultural norms surrounding the gendering of human anatomy and one's perception of their body all influence gender dysphoria. Some may want HRT or gender-affirming surgeries, but be unable to financially afford them or not have access to safe healthcare or a supportive environment. Others may simply not need them. It is important, when we think about trans identities, to disavow the notion that all trans individuals are uncomfortable with their bodies. Since I was a kid, about five years old, I already have a crush with women and I don't think that a feeling of me being different because just normal, I I think it's normal be, uh, I have a crush with her. 
and then I was sure that I am a man and I grew up in an Arabic family uh, with uh, so strict and living the religion is so conventionally but I never like contradict my, the, not my religion because I'm an agnostic now but my parents religion in mean Muslim society with my what I feel as a at that time uh, the trans man is not familiar yet so I label as a lesbian <laughs> but I'm not comfort with that kind of thing because I think I'm a man I identify as a man not being masculine until the trans man movement is being grow in Indonesia about 2015 then I'm more like confident to say that I am a trans man but I don't want to take HRT in Indonesia because I don't believe medical officer in Indonesia then what else my father passed away 10 years ago and then my mother also passed away like four years ago and I didn't close with my one and only older brother and I never had chance to come out to my parents because at that time I just like appreciate them for taking care of me but after they are both passed away uh, I didn't care anymore I came out to like everyone in my extended family and everyone in here in Jogja knows me at a, as a trans man Oh yeah, previously I worked in NGO, uh, focused in LGBT, women and youth issue, but uh, at the 2015 I resigned because they're not giving me a proper wage because I'm only a high school graduate at that time. And yeah, <laughs> oh so, but after I resign my job, I get confused. Did someone like me with my gender identity can easily have a job? <laughs> How do people like me can have a job? I didn't think before, I just resigned and then I get confused. But then, I don't know, suddenly, I think working as a freelance is quite good for me because I can feel that I can appreciate myself and as a human, a whole person. So from the 2000, uh, 15, I work until now as a freelance note-taker. It's like uh, liberating myself. <laughs> it's wonderful. Thank you so very much for sharing that, Alfie. Um, especially the experience of being a, a non-binary trans man because it's a story that's so rarely brought onto a major platform. And so... I really appreciate you being so open about it. So to go on to our next question, based on your experiences and the perspectives that you have had the opportunity to learn about and be exposed to, what do you feel that individuals outside of the LGBTQ plus community of Indonesia can what can they do to support matters here in this country and your social movements and causes? I think what the other community outside the country, they want to help us. So far, I think not a lot because when I'm doing the advocacy for the NGO, 
they just helping us only when there is a big case in Indonesia. So I think there's not a lot that they did for me, for us in the movement actually. But here in Yogyakarta, luckily I have like a support system. I have friends. One of my friends so close to me is just like my own older sister. And then I have two more friends that we always sharing and encourage me so I can feel that I'm not alone. And also when Fania told me about your podcast, I'm <laughs> uh, very interesting. And then uh, I tried to get information of that and I kept very interested to and I'm here. <laughs> and I think what you do is, for me, is a way from someone outside that can help me. Because you help us like spreading the message, our message here that we are not alone and can share about our experience. And for me, that's a lot. Thank you so very much. And thank you for your kind words as well. I really appreciate it. Even in the West, the phrase non-binary trans man tends to raise questions. People often believe that as being non-binary means you do not belong within a binary gender, a person cannot be non-binary and also be a man or a woman. It is important to note that non-binary identities are those that do not exist exclusively as masculine or feminine at all times. So in Alfie's case, it makes sense that he is both non-binary and a trans man, having been assigned female at birth, but identifying as a man, just not the socially normative cisgender conception of what maleness is. As well as the terms non-binary trans man or woman, you may also hear of transmasculine and transfeminine people, which describe individuals who have transitioned towards masculinity or femininity, but do not, in their case, identify with the terms man or woman. These identities are not defined by choice of clothing, haircut, mannerisms, or performance of gendered stereotypes. We are talking about gender identity, and not visual aesthetics or social roles. It is important not to conflate these terms. What I found reassuring in both June and Alfie's stories is how both of them have benefited from accessing online resources. If you grew up in the age of the internet as I did, you'll likely have felt discouraged by having your efforts to address social issues via the internet discredited as slacktivism. This term is often used to describe the use of virtual platforms to share information and discussions surrounding matters related to human rights and social awareness. The implication being that this form of activism is lazy and disengaged. However, given what these two men have had to say about the impact of online resources on their ability to articulate their sense of identity, Perhaps the term slacktivism becomes a misnomer in the context of virtual social spaces. It is with concerted effort that many of us attempt to disseminate resources and encourage informative and insightful LGBTQ discourse. And I speak as part of my community when I say that, as an adolescent, social media and blogging platforms equipped me with not only the language I needed to put words to my feelings and experiences, 
but also understand that if there was a word for what I was, I was far from alone. For those of us putting our stories out there, it is encouraging to know that, for someone on the other side of the world, your act of vulnerability may be how they come to better understand themselves. There is a fair chance that, as June and Alfie were impacted by testimonies of others on virtual platforms, there will be listeners of this podcast who are, in turn, changed forever by having had the good fortune to hear these men's stories. Given the insightful conversations we have had with I, Ferdi, June and Alfie, it is apparent that the diversity of Indonesia's LGBTQ community has fallen under the radar, at least from the perspective of the West. It is not unusual for the modernity of countries in the global South to come under scrutiny, and queerness is so often perceived to be a facet of modernity, not only by Westerners, but by conservative-leaning citizens of countries like Indonesia. Platforming the experiences of the LGBTQ community in Indonesia is about more than sharing these important stories. It is about acknowledging the widespread existence of what the West would call queerness. Queerness is indigenous. So much of that queer history all around the globe has been lost, and so much of it was lost under colonialism. Indonesia is a prime example of this. It was under Dutch colonial rule that the Polisi Susila or morality police were formed, back in the 1930s when Dutch power in the country appeared threatened by the Second World War. This was explored in Rinaldi Ridwan and Joyce Wu's paper, Being Young and LGBT, What Could Be Worse? Analysis of Youth LGBT Activism in Indonesia, Challenges and Ways Forward. Ridwan and Wu state in their paper that large-scale hunts took place, arresting homosexual men who were accused of having had sex with underage boys. For context, an underage individual was anyone younger than 21 years old. Historian Marike Bloombergen has also stated that this supposed moral cleansing was implemented in order for a decreasingly authoritative Dutch colonial government to reassert their power. Bloombergen has suggested that this may have fed into the enduring interest many Indonesians have in sexual cleanliness, with homosexuality or LGBTQ identities being considered amoral and, by extension, unclean. We cannot ascertain what contemporary Indonesian attitudes towards LGBTQ identities would be if Dutch colonialism had not proliferated and normalised queerphobia in the early 20th century. We can, of course, see how this sentiment has led to more conservative Indonesians accusing queer Indonesians of having been indoctrinated into their queerness by external, predominantly Western influences. If anything is clear from June and Alfie's stories, it is that this causal framework for their queerness is a poor fit. Instead, it appears that having access to external resources allowed June and Alfie to articulate their identities and experiences. This was not a matter of indoctrination, but the acquisition of language. Transness is no more an import than being gay or lesbian, 
And stories like June and Alfie's demonstrate that gender identity variance and transness exists within contemporary Indonesian society, much like Shintaratri's story of being Wariya did. But this is by no means the extent of gender identity variance in Indonesia, and in next month's final episode on Indonesian culture, we will be sharing a very important interview with a Bujanese citizen, a native of one of the largest ethnic groups on the island of Sulawesi, Indonesia. Bujanese culture, which comprises six million citizens and operates under a five-gender, three-sex social system, is living and enduring proof that a gender binary has never been innate or fundamental to the human experience. Join us next time for our final chapter in the Southern Hemisphere, the Bugis of Indonesia. This episode of the Slash Queer podcast was edited by Sam Clay and scripted and produced by me, Georgie Williams. A very special thanks to June, Alfie, Vanya and Royce for their contributions. A very special thanks to our Patreon subscribers who have now supported this season of Slash Queer past its halfway point. This project grows by the day and your involvement means so very much. If you're not a Patreon and you want to do your bit to ensure these stories continue to be heard around the world, you can visit the Slash Queer Patreon at patreon.com forward slash slash queer. That's S-L-A-S-H queer. The link is also available on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Also, following popular demand, we have just released our first set of Slash Queer merch, with the Slash Queer logo available in various pride flag colours across t-shirts, mugs, face masks, and more. You can check us out at slashqueer.threadless.com. And on top of all that, if you fancy throwing us a few pennies as a one-off donation, you can donate to the Slash Queer Research Project at coffee.com forward slash slash queer. That's ko ficom forward slash slash queer. However you support us, through donations or just sharing these episodes around, is more important than you could possibly know. This episode was recorded on location in Jogjakarta, Indonesia. Music in this episode was composed by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this episode or have any feedback, please get in touch on Instagram or Twitter at at slash queer or email us at slash queer at outlook.com. In spite of all that we face in these uncertain times, remember to stay kind, stay radical, and stay queer. <laughs>